0: invite you to take a Bible and turn to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look at just one verse out of that section. How many of you at some time or the other have ever served on the board of Covenant Care Services? Would you slip your hand up? Okay, a number of you, a lot of you. So uh, you know firsthand the vitalness of of that ministry. This is the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. And I'll begin reading in verse 1, though we're only going to focus on uh, verse 13. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now I want to keep reading the next couple of verses. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, The people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. So ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. The first four commandments deal with our vertical relationship with God. The second group, the second table, which are the the fifth through the tenth commandments, deal with our relationships with one another. Jesus summarized the the teaching of the Ten Commandments as that we should love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we should love our neighbor as ourselves. And so the tables of the law, the first table being the first four, and then the the second table being the last six, they follow priorities. And the first one is to love the Lord your God. Everything begins with a relationship with God. God is at the top of the first table. But with the fifth commandment, commandment, we move from focusing on our relationship to God to focusing on our relationships with others, parents first, And then, with the Sixth Commandment, how we are to treat others. The commandment is very simple, this Sixth Commandment. You shall not murder. Now, it looks very straightforward, but it's very often misunderstood. So, what is the commandment not? It's not a prohibition against all killing in any and every circumstance. Ecclesiastes says there is a time to kill and a time to heal. So this commandment, especially in English, has been misunderstood at times due to how it's been translated in our English Bibles just using the word kill, you shall not kill rather than you shall not murder. People who protest war often will use this verse as a basis for those protests, Uh, even Some vegetarians historically have used this verse to oppose the killing of animals. Albert Schweitzer, who was a French missionary and physician of the early 1900s, he applied this verse to all of life, not even to kill flies, ants, or mosquitoes. He never lived in Georgia, I guess, but. Well, what does the commandment say? If if those are some things that it is not, what is it? Well, the word, murder or kill means to slay or to assassinate. Here's the definition. It is the premeditated taking of an innocent human life. It's the premeditated taking of an innocent human life. So the proper translation of the verse into English is you shall not murder. Now the command first appears earlier in the book of Genesis, and I, I didn't read the Genesis 9 passage, but let me tell you about it. In Genesis 9, 6, Noah and his family have come out of the ark after the flood, and God says to them, who among other things, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed, for in the image of God, God he made man. Now, that verse gives us the rationale or the reasons why it is wrong to take innocent human life. And that is that human life is sacred. That means it is inherently sacred, and it has a sacred character about it at all times in all places. It means that sacred means to be set apart. It's different. Uh, the legal definition of sacred is the quality or state of being holy, very important, valuable, kind of off limits. I remember going to a friend's house that lived near me and when I was growing up. It seemed like we were about seventh grade at this time. and He had had an older brother who was a very, very popular football player in high school who had died with another very popular guy. They were both in college, returning from college, and they had they died in an automobile accident it had been a couple of years since then and i was and this was his younger brother that i was friends with and we were at his house and we were uh kind of playing and doing different stuff and and there was a room a bedroom and and he said oh we can't go in there that was Bo's room and it was just the same way as when he died and his parents had kept it exactly that way and i knew at that point But that that is that's off limits. We don't walk through that door, and that's to use that sense. It's it was sacred. That that's what we mean. It's different. It is it is set apart. And so God says that about about human life. Well, why is it sacred? There there are at least three reasons. One is human life is sacred. Your life is sacred because it is priceless. When God says, "Who in Genesis nine, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed," that would seem to be almost uh, that would seem to be ironic, but He's saying human life is so priceless there is nothing that can be exchanged for it. Imagine if you said if you shed human life, if the law said this, then you shall be fined seven hundred dollars. That means that that person's life is worth $700. Or if you say, if you murder someone, that will be automatically 10 years in prison. Well, then you're saying that's what that life was worth, was 10 years in prison. So God says you cannot pay for it with anything except its own currency. It's a way of saying human life is infinite in value. Now, here's what I I want you to think about. I've studied the Ten Commandments for years and years and years. Not continuously, but off and on. And we have to realize God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt where they had been for generations and rather than taking them immediately to the promised land when he had delivered them under the leadership of Moses, he takes them down to the Sinai Peninsula, which you can see on the map today. And he takes them there and he gives them his law, but primarily he's going to de-Egyptianize them. After living in Egypt for so long, they thought very much like Egyptians. Now even though they had their Hebrew culture, It had not been exclusive during that time. So many of these laws, if not all of them, are in direct conflict to what had been acceptable in the culture in Egypt. Now in Egypt, especially among the slaves, human life had no value, except for what its value was as being offered with labor that it could produce. And they had many gods, and so each of these commandments is like addressing an issue from the Egyptians. But we know, even today, that some of the ancient legal codes had different values for different types of human life. Let me explain what I mean by that. There were tremendous class distinctions as the basis for punishment for murder. For example, if a rich man was murdered by a poor man, then the penalty might be that the family of the rich man could go and slaughter all the poor man's family. Men, women, and children. But if the rich man murdered a poor man, then he was only required to make some kind of monetary restitution to the man's family. And so, what this said in that culture was that various individual lives had various values. Now, what's God saying in the sixth commandment? He's saying, no matter who you are, Rich or poor, male or female, whatever class you come from, every individual life is priceless. So you see how this elevated this elevated the understanding of human life, even among the Hebrew people. The second reason life is sacred, human life, is because it does not belong to you. You are accountable for your life and for the lives of others around you. But they don't belong to you. You don't own another person. Every human life which comes into your life, whether it's a person checking you out at the grocery store, <laughs> that didn't sound right, the person taking your money at the grocery store, or, or the clerk at the convenience store, whoever it may be, whoever you come into contact with, you are accountable, in a sense, for that person's life as they are for yours. And Why is that? Because human, humans don't belong to you. Not your children. Your children don't belong to you. Your spouse doesn't belong to you. Your friends and family don't belong to you. And So no human being is yours to do with as you please, to abuse and to violate, to discard. They're owned by somebody else, and as a result, you are accountable to their owner. Third reason human life is sacred is because all of us, each of us, each of us all are made in God's image. God has put his stamp on every individual and God says it's an assault, an assault on someone in my image is an assault on me. You know like when uh, someone in another country burns a an effigy of our president or our flag. It's an assault on on the nation. It's an imputed assault. That's the way it's seen. And so God says to assault my image and that person is to assault me. So his commandment not to murder has never changed because his image in humanity has never changed. So he's given this commandment to protect you and to provide for you. That's the sanctity of human life. We should care about all people. The street people, the poor, the malnourished, the abused, the unborn. Why? Because it's politically correct? No, because in many cases it's not. No, because it's the sixth commandment. That's why we should care about human life. Now the case laws, are y'all still, <laughs> I would, somebody said, I listened to you online. He lives in another state. And he said, always in those sermons you say, are you still with me? <laughs> I was I just Are you listening, Rick? Okay. Are you still with me? Okay. The case laws grow out of the commandments. The case laws were taking, for example, the sixth commandment, you shall not murder, and then they God gave them specifics on how they are to conduct their everyday lives. For example, if you were to build a house, their houses, adobe-type houses in those days, they used their flat roofs kind of like a deck. And then late in the day, you'd go up and, and sit there. And that would be where you, you might relax. Well, one of the case laws were that if, when you build a house, you were to build a small fence around your, your roof. Why? To protect someone. To protect other people that they wouldn't have to trip and fall off and get hurt. Let me read you a couple of the case laws. These from Leviticus 19 verses 15 to 16. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the f- poor or favoritism to the great. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? Don't show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great. But judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Now listen to this. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. So you don't dig a 20-foot deep hole in your front yard and leave it uncovered, for example. So there was a principle. Don't do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. That's a case law. It's an application of the Sixth Commandment. Here's another one. Leviticus 19, verse 14. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind, but fear your God, I am the Lord. Ever lose your patience with someone you think is hard of hearing? What are you, deaf? Leviticus 19, do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block. Hey, guys, watch this. Hey, here comes another student. He can't see. Here, let's trip him. Let's put this chair in front of him and watch. We'll all laugh. This is, there's nothing new under the sun. The positive, now, each of the commandments has a positive. When it says, you shall not steal, you shall provide. You shall not commit adultery, you shall protect the family. You shall not commit murder, you shall preserve the life. So all the commandments are like that. The sixth commandment here has many applications. I want to read you a few from our larger catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, in case you're not around Presbyterian churches often which is just an exposition of scriptural principles and so forth. It's not equal to the Bible. It helps us to understand the Bible. So here's the question in the Catechism, question 134. What is the Sixth Commandment? Uh, The Sixth Commandment is, thou shalt not kill. Well, what are the duties required? Here's what they'll ask. They always ask, what are the duties required and what are the sins forbidden? So here are the positive things, the duties required. And I just selected a few. The duties required in the Sixth Commandment are all lawful endeavors to preserve the life of ourselves and others by resisting all thoughts and purposes, subduing all passions, and avoiding all occasions and temptations and practices which tend to the unjust taking the life, taking away the life of any other." It goes on and says, "...by charitable thoughts, love, compassion, meekness, gentleness, kindness, peaceable, mild, and courteous speeches and behavior, We should be ready to be reconciled, patiently bearing and forgiving the injuries of others, requiting good for evil, and comforting the distressed and protecting and defending the innocent. So the commandment not to murder also implies, if I am to keep this, I am to protect the innocent. What are the sins forbidden? Again, I just selected a few. The sins forbidden in the sixth commandment are the taking away of our own lives, suicide, or of others, except in case of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense. A sin forbidden also is the neglecting or withdrawing the lawful and necessary means of preservation of life, provoking words, oppression, quarreling, striking, wounding, and whatever else tends to the destruction of life of any other. most of you know, but some don't. Our fifth child is now 26 years old. His name is Stephen. This morning, he, he's probably right now in the special needs nursery. When he was born, he had multiple disabilities and birth defects. He was born right up here at the medical center. And a lot of this was not known in advance. Not that it would have made any difference, but mentally, we were not quite prepared. I was not. And uh, when, the, when the delivery room went silent, I knew something was wrong. The nurses and the doc it just got quiet, you know, when normally there's celebration when a baby's being delivered. So he's then transferred. After several days in the NICU here, he's moved to, uh, to Birmingham. He, he, as the medical counsel here said, look, he's got a whole host of problems. You need to get under one roof that can deal with this. So he's moved over there, and I had a neighbor that I grew up with, and she said, oh, my niece is a nurse in the NICU unit at the University of Alabama-Birmingham Hospital. So late one night, I'm standing there. Barbara just had a C-section. I don't even know how she was able to stand. And uh, at, th- at this point, I was by myself. I think she was out waiting. And I- I'm standing by the little uh, incubator-type thing or whatever you call it. I'm sorry for those that are nurses. I'm- I know the terminology is wrong. I'm looking at Stephen and all the things coming to him. He's, now he's a, a week, he, he was delivered about a week before. And I meet this nurse. She, I said, oh, yeah, I, your, your aunt told me about you. She said, yeah, I just returned from a trip. Well, what I learned at this moment is she was not only very outspoken, um, very outgoing, and very lesbian. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. So we're talking, and she said, yeah, I've been away. I've been down in the Caribbean with my partner. And she said, let me, I was just coming through the airport in Miami. We were coming through, and this man came up, and he was so mean. He verbally abused us, you know, and was saying all these horrible things. And then she turned her attention to Stephen and said, she began to quiz me as to, did y'all not do any prenatal testing, prenatal testing? Did you not run any, uh, I said, yeah, yeah, uh, as though, where she was going was, why did, why did you not abort this child? Why did you let this child be born? Well, I didn't say it. I knew that's where she was going. The first question that came out of her mouth. It would have made no difference to us. We would not have done that. But I said, uh, I thought to myself, I would not have aborted this child for the same reason the man should not have abused you verbally in the Miami airport. And that's because he and you are made in the image of God. And your life has value, and that has implications for how we treat one another. (laughs) So that's kind of how our culture looks at it. I realize I'm about out of time. This year, being an election year, uh, this is not a sermon on abortion, but I just want to mention one thing. Uh, We're going to hear a lot of dancing around the issue with no substantive discussion. There will be euphemisms about health care and things like that Um, but I would would pay a thousand dollars in a presidential debate to hear one question like, do you think abortion ends a human life? Just one question like that but unless God intervenes it won't happen. It, It will be around that. So for those of you that you've never read much on this. I want to recommend one excellent resource, and that's a book by R.C. Sproul that was written in 1990, but then it was reprinted last year, no, in uh, the fall of 2022, a year and a half ago, and it's called "Abortion: A Rational Look at an Emotional Issue." Uh, If you are inquisitive, inquisitive at all, and you're not sure what you think about all of this, I recommend that abortion. Subtitle, A Rational Look at an Emotional Issue. Now, let me just say this in conclusion. If anyone is reading this and you're thinking, well, boy, I'm, I'm really guilty of this. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said about this and other laws, you've heard you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, even if you're angry enough with your brother, to say, you empty-headed fool, you've committed murder in your heart. There's not an innocent person here among us. When we look at how Jesus scrutinizes God's law and applies it to us, you ever been angry with somebody? Really angry with somebody? Well, you violated this, this sixth commandment. Have You ever not gone out of your way to try to help another person that was in need? you violated the Sixth Commandment. If you participated or pressured someone else to uh, have an abortion or, or, or participated in one as a medical, you, you violated the, the Sixth Commandment. I mean, there's all sorts of ways we violate it. Now here's, that's the bad news, okay? We can't look at the law and come away thinking, boy, I feel good about myself. It's not intended for that. Romans says that the law just reveals our need. We look at the law and say, man, I'm sick. I I need help. I need medicine. Well, guess what? The medicine comes in the form of a murder. The premeditating of an innocent human life, Jesus on the cross. That was premeditated, and he was innocent. So, oddly enough, for those of us who have broken the sixth commandment, we are saved through the breaking of the sixth commandment. And what happened to Jesus? We're made right with God through a murder. The murder of his son. The innocent man who was put to death unjustly. And so Jesus bore not just the little sins that we commit. Not just the sanitized ones we get away with. But the ugly, filthy, life-ending ones as well. He paid for them all. So we can never hear the gospel enough that our trust is in Christ and Him only. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you give us your law to show us our need. You don't leave us in our our to ourselves to think that we're right with you when objectively here we violate that. And yet you've made us in your image. We're grateful for that. Each of us here has value. For those that may be here today and think their life doesn't have meaning or that they aren't the person they think they ought to be, we pray that I would pray that you would give them that assurance that, no, you have made them in your image and that you have put them here and now for a special purpose and that we would see our need to be forgiven and that we would have our trust in Christ as our Redeemer. Thank you for him, sending him for that purpose. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.